You sure are. In a few minutes after 4 o'clock, ready, all ready for your phone calls. The lines are open as you would expect them to be now, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You have questions about uh, your employment, your job. Maybe you're looking at a severance offer. Maybe you just want to know what would happen if you were ever let go. You've been there either for a short term or a very long employment. doesn't matter. Give us a call. Leah here to answer all of your questions. Possibly you're an employer thinking of uh, having to make some changes inside the workplace. How do you do it properly? You phone this number, first of all, and uh, talk to us over the next hour, uh, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Want to send over an email? That is help at employmenthour.com, and we will uh, continue from there. So the phone lines are wide open and ready for you. So let's get into this big time. Uh, week that was, what's going on, pal? As per usual, lots and lots. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's that time of year, too, where I'm just, I'm just fired up. Like, I just feel <sighs> like... I just feel like getting out there and, and getting into court and I'm excited to be on this show every other week. Um, and as you say, John, talking about rights from start to finish, workplace obligations and workplace issues um, for both employees and employers because the more that people know this type of information, the more productive employment relationships are going to be. And that just benefits everybody, right? I mean, this is not just a show for employees. It's a show for everyone, everybody who's in an employment relationship. Um, So yeah, where, where I wanted to start today is with that springtime, new year, new season mentality in mind. Um, And that is the ways in which I've been noticing trends in the law uh, both in BC and across the country and how I want to really fight for people who are in those situations and bring those claims forward. So what I have in mind specifically and what I would, what I would love to really start getting more of a handle on, uh, really start getting more phone calls about our sexual harassment claims. Um, for a lot of reasons, this is a cause that's, that's very close to my heart, um, but it's also an area of the law that's not particularly well developed. Uh, you know, everybody is celebrating the Me Too movement um, as oh. being long overdue, but it's a movement that hasn't quite quite touched law yet um, and the way that our courts respond to these kinds of things. Uh, you know, and, and I, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that the legal sphere is often very, very behind everything else. It just takes continuous effort in moving something forward. And we are starting okay. to see signs of movement in that direction. Um, and what also keyed me to this as well, uh, beyond my, my just general mood, is that uh, a woman called me a couple of weeks ago for advice on a human rights tribunal mediation. She had been sexually harassed in the workplace by a superior and when she reported it uh, she was she was essentially isolated um, to the extent that she ended up having to go on leave yeah. and it, a tribunal the human rights tribunal is a great place to pursue a sexual harassment claim uh, it's quick it's often much quicker than the civil courts it's specialized um, so everybody who's going to be adjudicating these matters is special you're not going to get a tax mm-hmm. judge who is dealing with a sexual right. harassment claim and most importantly for a lot of people you don't need a lawyer 
you can represent yourself at the Human Rights Tribunal. Nice. It's very, very user-friendly. Um, and and this is particularly important because no costs are awarded to you, so you can pursue it on your own. That doesn't mean that it's easy to go it alone. And that's exactly why this woman called me. She was feeling nervous about this mediation that was coming up and wanted some advice on what the process was going to look like, you know, what she should prepare, for, what she should prepare and prepare for. Um, but once we had done that, I said, look, you've paid for an hour of my time. We've only been talking for a half hour. Why don't we save the last half hour and I'll keep myself open on the day of your mediation and you can call me. Nice. Right? You can, I'm just, I'll just book myself off that day and I'm not going to come to the mediation with you, but you can at any time give me a call and talk to me about something that's come up during the mediation. And that worked out really well. Um, it settled nicely for this individual. She called me a few times and I feel like she had a lot more confidence going in knowing that she right. had a lawyer in her back pocket essentially. And so there are two reasons I bring this up. First, lawyers do more than just sue people. And I think that that's surprising to a lot of people. Um, I love being in court. I absolutely love it. I don't, I'm not in court as much as I'd like to be. Um, because so much of my job is about negotiating and about, yeah. uh, contract, uh, review and just sort of, sometimes I'll often just quarterback situations, you know, from the sidelines. I will, I will coach people on how to paper their file or how to navigate a particularly difficult workplace situation. Um, and you know, that, that is all that we do. It never sees the inside of a courtroom. But the second reason I bring it up is that if you find a lawyer that really cares about the topic, they will or should do whatever they can to help you. And like I said, this is particularly important in sexual harassment cases right now. It's so important for those that feel like they're being harassed to speak up and to feel empowered to do so. Um, courts and tribunals in BC have been slow to catch on, but there are increased awards for sexual harassment ac across the country for sexual harassment claims. So it's becoming more and more worth the risk. And what I would love to do is to literally do whatever I can, whatever you know, permutation of fees or services makes sense for that individual to help someone bring forward their claim and start right. to try to change the law in BC and bring the law in BC up to where it is across the country. Because we're talking about tribunal decisions in Ontario where sexual harassment victims are being awarded $200,000. Wow. Right. Like it's not a small sum of money. Um, and the general consensus in the employment law bar is that BC will eventually get there. It's just that people need to do it. People need to bring forward the claims and I think have the backing and the confidence to do so. And that's where a lawyer can come in. So, you know, without without getting me or my firm in trouble by advertising, you know, services that I'm yeah, not yeah. sure I can provide, I certainly right. want to encourage people to call me because I will do whatever I can to help somebody in that situation. Um, you know, it, it's an, we can do an independent assessment of what you can afford and what your needs are and what that looks like. And we can come up with a hybrid approach that assists you in bringing forward a claim and gives you the confidence to do so. By the way, anytime you want to reach out uh, to Leah, guys, 604-283-3123. That's the number she just mentioned. Help at employmenthour.com. Yeah, phone lines here are open, by the way, for the remainder of this show, as you know, 604-280-9898 or uh, star 9898 on cell. What else you got going on? So there's a... Uh, 
my husband recently brought a news story to me about a um, a physician in Nova Scotia who was refusing to fill out these onerous forms that were given to him mm-hmm. by the uh, his patients' employers. Um, essentially just asking for uh, a lot of background medical information. And when you first read this story, it feels like it's a victory for privacy rights. And my husband told me uh, about this story in that context. You know, he really endorsed what the doctor was doing, almost like he was pulling one over on what feels like these increasingly intrusive companies. But in reality, the doctor probably isn't hurting the company who's requesting the info as much as he's hurting his own patients here. You know, patients um, and and employees who are going through these kinds of things don't have an absolute right to privacy when your medical condition is impacting your work. And I thought I would just take a quick second to talk about that mm-hmm. today. Your employer isn't entitled to a diagnosis, and that's important to keep in mind. They're not entitled to under to know what it is specifically that you're suffering from, but they are entitled to know a prognosis. They are entitled to understand the limitations of your ability as a result of your illness, and that is particularly true when it comes to safety the safety both of the individual worker that we're discussing, the colleagues, and any clients or customers that they might serve. So this could mean that a company is entitled to know if you're on medication, like a powerful painkiller, or if you've been prescribed medical marijuana, for example, uh, or if you've had your driver's license taken away. And if you're an employee who's in this position and you're withholding this information or misleading an employer on this information, that could be a bad idea for a number of reasons. It can deny you benefits that you'd otherwise be entitled to and possibly disqualify you from leave, but it could also give rise to cause to terminate your employment. You know, I have a, I have a client who was forced to go on leave last year. You know, at the time, the company asked to do an occupational therapist assessment, and the OT found that he wasn't capable of returning to his job for safety reasons at the time. However, his own doctor never ended up responding to the report. So at the time that he called me one year later, the company was making decisions on whether or not to return him to work based solely on that occupational assessment. And in, and in this particular case, that meant that the employer didn't have anything for him and now right. my guy's out of work, right? So this is gotcha. a situation where his doctor needed to have responded to the OT report line by line. Is he medically impaired from safely performing his duties? This needs to be investigated and answered by the employee or else the company and the employer won't just have the right but the obligation to keep him off of work. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's so uh, important to answer those. It's been a, uh, a, good, uh, a good opening uh, salvo from you, my friend. We're going to take a short break here. By the way, the phone lines are wide open. want to talk about harassment, employee rights when business is sold. we got a lot to get through. Uh, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. We are just getting warmed up. It is the Employment Hour right here on CKNW. If you're ever wondering about your severance, what it should be, what it should look like, simple way before even the phone call to Leah, severancepaycalculator.com. That is where you want to go. But for the remainder of this hour, of course, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 to call in, ask your questions about employment, your job, your workplace. That's why we are here. Even the simplest question, doesn't matter. Bring it on. We'd love to talk to you till uh, just close to, uh, to 5 o'clock. Harassment, that is what we are talking about, right? Yes, I'm milking this topic for all it's worth today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll get we'll get right to it. Uh, first question, does the employer have an obligation to address harassment in the workplace? Yes, absolutely. Um, that is 
one of the key things to take away from any discussion about harassment is that an employer positively has an obligation to keep the workplace free from harassment. And that includes sexual harassment, it includes physical violence, it includes bullying. That is a, uh, that is a provincial-wide obligation that every employer has. And the corollary to that is that mm-hmm. you as an employee have the right to work in a workplace that is free from harassment. Yep. So that is something that is covered in the common law. That is something that is covered in uh, in through human rights legislation, and it's something that's covered through WorkSafe BC. So it is a it is an all encompassing obligation that every employer has to their employees to keep their workplace free from harassment. Uh, and yeah, and and that's that's it's so important that it gets across because it doesn't matter how how minor, and. And what is encompassed in that obligation that an employer has uh, specifically, because, you know, we can talk all day about an employer having yep. this obligation, but, uh, you know, there there are some guideposts, if you will, to assess whether or not an employer is meeting that from a b- very basic level. Uh, and the first step is that an employer is obligated through WorkSafe BC to have a policy or statement on harassment in the workplace. That's usually going to be a declaration of a commitment to workplace free from harassment, and it's going to include a definition of what harassment is, and right. it's going to let people know where they can find an employer's harassment policies. Uh, the, you know, the, these policies have to outline the procedures that are in place for reporting and dealing with incidents and complaints. So they have to talk the talk, essentially, right? They have to have these policies in place that that demonstrate that they are aware of this obligation, um, that they have disseminated this information to their employees, and what the procedure is for uh, for when um, complaints of harassment arise in the workplace. But the more important obligation, of course, is walking the talk, is is taking that policy and putting it into action. So if you are an employer and you have a complaint of harassment made against you, you can't say, deal with it. You can't sweep it under the rug. You know, you, you, you have to, a lot of the time, you have to investigate it. And sometimes that does require that you hire a third party investigating uh, individual to look into that complaint for you. You have to follow the policies that you set in place because it's mandated by law that you have these policies in place. And then if you don't follow them once a complaint has been made, you as an employer, you're just opening yourself up to complaints by the employee uh, for failing to protect their interests and their right to a workplace free from harassment uh, in, you know, first and foremost, and very obviously failing to follow their own policies. The number to call in about this or any other topic, if uh, this rings true or you have a question about it, no problem, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. That is the way we roll. So uh, we understand that it's mandatory. Employers have to do this, whether it's a big corporation or a mom-and-pop shop. It has to be reported. has to be taken seriously and investigated. So what should you do if you feel like you're being harassed or bullied in the workplace? What's your first steps? It's it's such a hard question to answer because... I feel like this question is always easier to answer in theory. Um, right. You know, I mean, I can tell people, well, report it. And that's exactly what this, the answer to the question is. It, it's report it. It's, it's make the complaint. And if you feel like you're being, uh, you know, pressured, 
out of making the complaint or you're being punished for having made it, then yeah. that is just an additional complaint on top of that. Um, and you know, something that's really important to keep in mind is that WorkSafe BC also covers for that. Um, you know, there's something that's called a discriminatory action complaint uh, mm -hmm. with WorkSafe, where if you've made a complaint to your employer about an unsafe condition in your workplace, an unhealthy condition in your workplace, and that includes bullying and harassment. So if you've made that complaint to your employer and then the employer punishes you in some way by disciplining you unfairly, by firing you, of course, by mm -hmm. demoting you, by doing anything that seems to be punitive in relation to the fact that you made a complaint about your health and safety, then you can make a complaint to WorkSafe. Uh, it's called a discriminatory action complaint. And there are significant fines uh, on the line for companies who to engage in these reprisal actions. Um, so yes, I mean that is of course my my first answer to all of this is right. uh, is make the complaint, follow those policies, put those policies and procedures uh, to work for you. But as we've talked about time and time again on this show, also really with respect to employees who feel that they rely on their job so heavily that they can't right, bring right. a complaint forward to the Employment Standards Branch or they can't bring a complaint forward to the Human Rights Tribunal. You know, they don't want to escalate things. They don't want to risk losing their job, um, you know, for the sake of making a complaint about overtime or a complaint about harassment in the workplace. Right. And, you know, as a lawyer and as somebody who really believes strongly in keeping the workplace free from these sorts of issues I I it pains me that that stops people but I do absolutely understand why someone would feel that way so the the backup plan the plan B here is to write it down right at the very least just start to paper that file uh, put it in an email to yourself so that you've got the date and time on it and write down what happened get get a get a full you know chronological detailed account of everything that's been occurring to you who did it how it was dealt with or not dealt with and hold on to it for the future uh, if you feel like you've you've got the nerve to do so send the email or or emails once you have a few together to the person who's offending you or your supervisor uh, or human resources because um, if you don't feel comfortable making that initial complaint you can at least start compiling a record of everything that's happening in the workplace and start to alert the uh, let's say the, you know the first tier of responders to the oh. fact that there's an issue so if if I'm listening to you say this and I'm, I'm I'm one of our listeners going yeah but you know what it's it's I don't work for a place that has a large sophisticated HR uh, you know section in the workplace maybe it's the person I'm supposed to be reporting this to that's the person who's doing the harassment I feel like my hands are tied what do I do I mean there it, nothing really changes about the reporting structure um, okay. if you if the person who is harassing you is the same and only person who you need to report it to, then there's nowhere else that you can really go. Uh, there's no one else that can affect that kind of change. So it doesn't change what you do, um, but you know, obviously it does make it a lot harder for you to do so in the moment, right? I, I couldn't imagine going to my boss and saying, yeah. I feel like you're harassing me. I mean, that would be an incredibly intimidating experience um, to have to do that. But 
that individual, if they are the individual who is in charge, uh, then they are the ones who have that obligation. They are the ones who are charged with that obligation to keep the workplace free from harassment, to take every complaint seriously, and to not punish employees who bring forward these complaints. So you're saying if it is the person you're supposed to report to, you can skip over them, you know, for lack of a better term, and go to Workplace BC or the Human Rights Tribunal and say, you know, this guy, Mr. X, who is my boss, by the way, is the one harassing me. Do oh, of course. That. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You, you, can, you can make the complaint to the individual directly um, right. if, if, you, if, you can, if you can rack up the nerve for that. Um, mm-hmm. Or you can, of course, you, nothing is compelling you to, to go directly to that particular individual. You can just go ahead and make the complaint uh, to WorkSafe BC or to the Human Rights Tribunal, and and both are you know very user friendly. Um, both are uh, are perfectly capable of being uh, managed largely on your own without legal advice. You know, but like I said at the beginning of the show. I am happy to sit down with you um, for you know a half hour free consultation to right. review the situation with you and see if there's just to point you on the right path because I think it's so important that we are taking this entitlement to workplace free from harassment and upholding it as best we can. You want to reach out any time, by the way, to catch uh, catch get a hold of Leah, rather, 604-283-3123. It is help at employmenthour.com. We'll take a short break. Phone calls, uh, bring them on. We have open lines. We're ready for you. It's a quiet day, so make it a little loud on your end, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. We'll continue right here, Employment Hour on CKNW. Any time to call through over the next half hour, bring it on 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell is the way to go. Ask your questions, uh, your comments. We'd love to love to hear from you in that regard. Anna, thank you for hanging on the line. Good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. Well, thank you. Okay, go ahead. Uh, my question is if someone um, works for a large corporation, public, and um, they're part of a union, and uh, they've also had a WorkSafe BC file, but they'd still like to get some legal advice. I found, like for myself, um, it's been quite difficult to actually find that legal advice because there's either either a conflict of interest um, and being part of the union, um, part of your rights, um, you know, they're they're forfeited, is from what I understand. Um, so I've just been finding myself that it's been really difficult to find uh, somebody who can help me and I just question what kind of access to legal rights do I have because from what I've found um, it's very slim to none. Hmm. Yeah I mean it's a it's a good question Anna and thanks for for calling in. The reason why it can be so difficult for somebody who is unionized is because a union is going to retain complete jurisdiction over all of your workplace issues uh, and grievances. So lawyers that practice employment law civilly like I do can't just step in on your behalf. The, that's going to be a uh, territorial jurisdictional issue and the union's going to step in and say, no, 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 this is us and you know you cannot be you cannot represent Anna. We do. Uh, so that's the reason why a lot of lawyers won't won't touch it. Um, Without knowing really what the what the substance of the legal advice that you're looking for, it's it's hard to comment. But I can tell you that generally, I only find that it's worthwhile 
for an individual to seek advice from a lawyer in situations like this if they feel like they're being really, really underrepresented by their union. There is a duty of fair representation that arises with unions. And if you can establish that a union isn't meeting that duty, then a lawyer may be able to take over the jurisdiction of your complaint and advocate on your behalf. But it is an enormously high bar. It can be very difficult to prove. Um, yes, I don't want to reveal too much information um, right now. Um, but what if there is um, an element of trust that uh, one person is not sure about from their union and they'd like to get some advice in terms of, um, you know, am I on the right track or even to, I'm not saying reestablish that trust because that has mm-hmm. to be done between the individual and the union. Mm-hmm. Um, but however, to make sure that I you know, someone is being represented fairly. Um, so how, you know, how do you, what kind of access to rights to somebody in that situation has? Because it's, right. it's been quite limited. Right. So generally speaking, the first thing that I will do when somebody comes in to speak to me, because that that's often the case in these situations. People feel like they've been let down by their union or there's been some sort of erosion of trust. And so they feel lost. They don't feel like they're being properly represented. And, you know, unions aren't quite accountable in the same acute way to their members as lawyers are to their clients. And so it's nice to sit down in a room with someone one-on-one, have questions and get answers. I I completely get that. Um, But in most cases, the first thing that I will recommend to somebody who is looking for a pathway forward with their union, which is often the only step that you can take in that situation, I tell them to look at the collective bargaining agreement. Um, If you don't have a copy, get a copy. And in most cases, there will be a mechanism in your CBA that will deal with this exact situation. Um, you know, if you don't feel like your union representative is doing what they should, there should be a essentially a call that person's manager provision, right? Where where there's something that you can do to escalate the situation, um, and and hopefully move forward in repairing that relationship as between you and the union. Um, if you do want to speak to a lawyer, that's not an option that is foreclosed to you. It's just important to understand. I mean, I don't, I don't not take it because I don't want to speak to somebody. I, I discourage people from taking, from, from taking the consultation because I think largely it ends up being a waste of money to be perfectly honest. And I'm not trying to, you know, you don't make a business by turning down money, but I also like to provide value for my services. And in that case, I'm pretty much going to tell you what I've already told you, which is take a look at the collective bargaining agreement. And if you really, really can't repair it and your union is, you know, putting their fingers in their ears and they're saying, you know, we're just not going to do anything for you because we don't like you, then I can get involved. But before that, all I can really do is is listen to your story and, and encourage you to try to repair it with the union directly. So what part of a collective agreement are you referring to that one should look at? Well, they're, they're all different. Um, every collective bargaining agreement is different. Um, but, you know, there's generally going to be something in the grievance section and how the, how you bring it forward, how the union is supposed to respond to the grievance, and then what happens in the event that, uh, that it's not going in the way that you planned. There's also 
often a section about a union's duties to its members. And so I would I would look at that as well. Okay, Anna. All right, that's we lost Anna, so we hope you, uh, she carries on from there. Anna, you want to reach out any further? Leah's number yet six zero four two eight three thirty one twenty three. You still have time to call us here on this show at this station, right? Uh, for about a little less about forty uh, twenty minutes from now. So uh, give us a call six zero four two eight zero nine eight nine eight or star nine eight nine eight on your cell. We were talking about harassment. Um, what happens if the harassment keeps going in the workplace? You may have or may not have reported to who you should have, and uh, it gets to the point where you you physically and mentally feel like you can no longer work. What do you do? And that happens in so many cases. Right. Um, you know, stress and anxiety is already at such a high level for so many employees with, you know, the constant requirement to be available, uh, you know, on, on your, on your email, on your smartphones. And so it really doesn't seem to take a lot these days to push people over into that edge of feeling, like you said, like they can't physically and mentally come to work anymore. Right. And on this show, we've spoken a lot about the concept of constructive dismissal. And a constructive dismissal is essentially a dismissal or termination of employment that you can construe from action rather than words. So instead of your boss saying you're fired, um, you know, here's your record of employment, have a nice life, it's Bob, we're reducing your pay by 30%, or, you know, we're demoting you uh, right. from, from manager to associate. As an employee, you are entitled to construe these actions as a termination of employment and collect your severance. Another way, and it's it's a higher bar, right? Because you look at those examples that I just gave, and that's all very clear, right? Um, if if you're being demoted from a sales manager to a, to a sales manager to a sales associate, that's a clear demotion. If you're reducing pay by thirty percent, that's just math. Um, so there's really no disputing those facts. But there is a way in which you can also show that your employment has essentially been terminated through sustained harassment in the workplace. Um, it's, it's a fairly high threshold, but where the harassment becomes so severe and so obviously a breach of the employer's obligations under the law. So, you know, like I was just explaining to Anna, they're putting their fingers in their ear and they're not doing right. anything about it. Yep. That employee can treat their employment as having been terminated. And then they can collect severance and possibly additional damages as well. Mm -hmm. If you've also suffered mental distress, uh, as many people would in that situation. But like I said, it's a, it's a pretty high threshold right now. Um, I, I've spoken about this before, and the, again, this is reflective of my, my springtime mood. I think it's probably ripe for some change in our courts. Um, I don't think that it's always going to be so high, but it's always going to be extremely fact-specific and unique to your own personal situation. So I would encourage you, if you, are, if you feel like you're being harassed at work and you're getting to the point where you want to quit, you need to speak to a lawyer. Uh, I can help you navigate what is a very difficult situation mm -hmm. personally, but also from a legal sense. So let me take that second part of it off your hands. Reach out for sure, 604-283-3123. Get a hold of Leah. It is help at employmenthour.com. We'll try to go to an email or two before we wrap here. Still plenty of time, though, for you to call in on this show right now, 604 280 
9898 or star 9898 on your cell. We'll get to employee rights when the business is sold. If you've ever been in that situation, we'll, uh, we'll open up the door on it and have a look inside. That is coming up right here on the Employment Hour on CKNW. Yeah, still time for you to call, ask your questions about anything about your job, your employment. Uh, it's a free-for-all. Come on, bring it on. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Till that time, we'll talk about uh, employees' rights when the business is sold. Uh, business is sold. Do employees automatically get severance? You think they might. Some people think they might. No, and and you know maybe it's important to backtrack just for a second and talk about mm-hmm. what we mean when a business is sold because it happens all of the time. I mean, there yep. are reams of lawyers who are dedicated to doing exactly that are transactions and mergers and acquisitions. So anytime your company is taken over by another company, there arises this question or this question should arise in your mind of what happens to my prior years of service? Did right. I, was I just terminated? Am I entitled to severance? And the question is, um, essentially is, is it depends. So if it's a, if it's a share purchase, then you probably won't even know that the transaction has taken place. And and in that case, you're not entitled to severance anyway. So we're just going to set that aside and assume that we're talking about an asset purchase. So a total takeover, you're no longer employed by X company, you're now going to be employed by Y company. Right. If Y company does not make you an offer, an explicit offer to continue your employment or makes an offer that is materially different from the position that you held with company X, then you can turn down that job uh, if there is a job on the table uh, and you're entitled to severance. Of course, if the buyer company doesn't make you an offer, then you're entitled to severance. So in those two situations, either the buyer company doesn't make you an offer or they make you an offer that is so substantially different from the position that you held with the previous company, you are entitled to severance. If the buyer company, if in, in this example, company Y, offers to continue the employment relationship on substantially okay. the same terms as before, mm-hmm. then you as the employee may and likely do have the legal obligation to accept that offer. Okay. And then common law severance is forfeited no matter what you decide to do about it. So. If the employee accepts the offer, then they've mitigated their damages and no more severance. If the employee does not accept an offer despite being on substantially similar terms, then that means that you have failed to mitigate, you failed to avoid your loss, and again, no more common law severance. So the only time as an employee that you get severance in this situation uh, is when the, the purchasing company either does not make an offer to continue your employment or makes an offer uh, that differs so substantially from the position that you had before. And importantly, your severance rights are from the the, the selling company. So the company... Okay, that I was going to ask that. Who, yeah, who pays for it, right. Yeah, okay. the, the selling company in, in that instance. You know, and, and another question that arises from this, of course, is what what is differs materially? What does that mean? Um, so, you know, the key ones are the same ones that we think about when we think about constructive dismissal. So mm-hmm. a reduction in duties, right. any kind of demotion, a change in pay, or other terms of, you know, remuneration or a relocation. It can actually also include being put on a contract for the first time. So if you've worked for a seller company for you know six years without a contract, and then the buyer company makes you an offer that's exactly the same as it was before, but 
adds in an employment contract that has, you know, a termination provision or uh. non-competition agreement or anything like that, the employee may be legally entitled to turn it down in that case. I actually argued a case like that at the Court of Appeal and won. And in that case, the employee was offered more money and greater responsibility. But the court agreed with my position that the sudden addition of a termination clause and a no movement clause and all of these mm-hmm. other restrictive things around things like her vacation and stuff like that allowed her to legally turn the position down. There's even some case law that suggests that if the offer of employment from the buyer company expressly says, we aren't recognizing your prior years of service, you can turn that down. I mean, either way, John, you and I both know if the buyer contract is, if the buyer company is putting a contract in front of you, please do not blindly sign it. Certainly have that reviewed. Um, because if, if you were kind of looking at this as an excuse to get out of the industry, change tact, there might be a way to argue that the offer differs so materially from what you had before that you are entitled to turn it down and you're entitled to severance from the selling company. Yeah, we've often said in most situations, if you're going somewhere new and there's a uh, contract put in front of you, it's for the employer's benefit, not for yours. Not going to say, hey, we're going to make this even better for you. No, no. Usually the terms are better for them. So, uh, you know, buyer beware in that case and definitely, definitely give you a call. Can the new company put you on probation? Let me go for nothing. How about that? Oh, uh, no. So they, <laughs> no, 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 they can't. No. Um, <laughs> they absolutely can't. Um they, like I said, they have to recognize, I mean, automatically your years of service transfer over unless there's a provision in the contract that says that, yep. um, that, uh, that they're not recognizing prior years of service. Um, and, and although they can, the new company can ask you to sign a contract that says that you forfeit your common law severance entitlements, all of your entitlements accrued under the Employment Standards Act will continue to accrue and you cannot contract out of this. So this includes severance. Um, so if they if they are trying to get you on a probationary period that says that they yeah. can just assess your fit and then let you go for nothing, that is contrary to your Employment Standards Act entitlements at that time and therefore unenforceable. So, I mean, technically, they could probably put you on a probationary period in name right? They can say, we're going to assess your fitness and then we're going to let you go if you don't, if you don't meet that level uh, of suitability that we're looking for. But it doesn't mean that they can let you go for nothing. Um, Your severance would still be paid under the Employment Standards Act uh, and that would include all of your years of service. So what happens if it's not the case where the new employee doesn't want you? Uh, it's a case where, hey, you know what? This 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 is a good time for me to springboard into a new career, go back to school or whatever. whatever. It looks like the door for the exit has been kicked open for me. Uh, what do you got to know about that if you're thinking about that? I generally think that that's why most people call me in this situation is uh, they're just they're looking to get out and they're looking to yeah, get right. they're looking to get paid for it. Um, and again, it all depends on what kind of job is offered in this situation. If it's basically the same job, then you have a duty to mitigate the loss uh, from your termination and you have the duty to accept that job. This is the exact same obligation you have outside of the context of a corporate sale as well. You know, your right. duty to mitigate means that you aren't entitled to be compensated for loss that you could have avoided. Right. So if gotcha. you have the opportunity to replace your lost job with a similar one, 
why wouldn't you take it, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that is the same thing as somebody who's trying to sue somebody for being in a car accident for their broken arm and refusing to put it in a cast, right? If you're not taking right. the steps to remedy your own situation, a court's going to say you're contributing to your own demise here. So if you don't accept an offer that's substantially the same to the one that you had, it means that you failed to mitigate and you, you're only entitled to your minimum entitlements under the Employment Standards Act. Again, if it's a substantially different job, which can inc- which you can get very creative with, you can include all sorts of reasons why this is not the same job, uh, right. which is always why I recommend if you're in this situation getting legal advice, you you don't have to legally accept it. Um, you know, and to be to be fair, in this kind of situation, if you're entitled to a substantial amount of severance and you just want out for some amount of money why not just make that ar- argument anyway? There are so many creative ways to say that the job is not the same as the one that you had before. If you're willing to take 50 cents on the dollar for what your entitlements would be, um, you know, it's, of course it's, it's not, it might not be the 20 months you're entitled to, but if you're no happy kidding, yeah. with a 10 month lump sum to get out of a job where you might not otherwise legally be entitled to get a severance package, that could be something that's appealing to you. Um, of course, if a substantially different job is offered to you, you can take it if you want to for your own reasons, but you don't have to. And that's the important part here is that if you don't want to take the new job with the new company and it is different, or at least you can make the argument that it's different, uh, you are entitled to severance from your original employer in some capacity. Got about uh, literally a minute to go, so I'll run this one by you quickly from Courtney. He says, I think I've been wrongfully dismissed. My uh, company told me that they were terminating me because of restructuring, but they just hired someone for my position. What do I do? Okay, quick minute of answer here. So um, essentially, if, if, if they've restructured you out, they're saying that they've restructured you and they've hired someone to take your position, that in and of itself is not illegal unless you think that there's a discriminatory motivation for them lying to you. So if you, if Courtney is 65, they tell 65 year old Courtney that they're restructuring and then they just hired 25 year old John to take over your position. There's a very good argument there that they've contravened the human rights code by uh, firing you on account of your age. Um, If there is no discriminatory motivation, then the only real thing that you can do in this situation is make sure that you're getting the severance that you're entitled to, in which case I recommend you at least go to severancepaycalculator.com and second, contact your friendly neighborhood employment lawyer. That would be you. Good way to end it right there. Yeah, severancepaycalculator.com. You want to go to uh, 604-283-3123 to get a hold of Leah and the crew. Or email as well, just like Courtney did, help at employmenthour.com. Till next time, it's been the Employment Hour right here on CKNW.